Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we are very proud of our music program. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person, and it is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. We are here to abet creation and to witness it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature, so that creation need not play to an empty house. As you move through your life as a Unitarian Universalist, you might be asked, What holds you all together? You have people who call themselves Unitarian Universalists who have their roots in Christianity and others who have their roots in Judaism, others who have their roots in a Buddhist practice, others who are earth-based. What makes you Unitarian Universalists? Well, we can say one of the things is that we do our mission together and we say it every single Sunday. We gather in communities to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. We look for the sermon in the suicide, for the social or moral lesson in the murder of five. We interpret what we see, select the most workable of the multiple choices. We live entirely, especially if we are writers, by the imposition of a narrative line upon disparate images by the ideas with which we have learned to freeze the shifting phantasmagoria which is our actual experience. Well, I'm very glad to be back um, with you all. I had a wonderful time off in South Carolina and got everybody graduated and married and their CDs released and everything happened all at once. So that was good. And we told a lot of family stories, and so I wanted to talk family stories when we got back together again. My family was a storytelling family, or is a storytelling family, and one of the storytellers of consequence was my Uncle Bill. His, we call him Uncle Bull because nobody in the South is called by their actual name if they are loved. And so Uncle Bull would, would gather a crowd at every family gathering. Every family gathering of my mother's side has about 80 people. And because uh, she was, anyway, I won't go into it. But Uncle Bull, we would sit around his uh, feet and he talked like this because he was a southern preacher. And uh, he always wore a tie, even when we were at the summer camp for the Associate Reformed Presbyterian denomination, because he said, you never know when you might run into a pulpit committee. (laughs) And one of the stories he loved to tell was uh, about the time he was at Erskine College, which is in Due West, South Carolina. And uh, they had a professor who was a very holy man, an Old Testament professor. 
you know, he took the same route to his classroom from his house every every morning to teach his class. And he said, we thought we would give him a spiritual experience. So we wired up this little bush that was right next to the classroom building and uh, and uh, soaked it in, in gasoline. And when he walked by, we, we set it off. The bush started to burn, and oh, the man took off his shoes, thought he was on holy ground. My uh, cousins have taken up the mantle now that Uncle Bull is not there. Um, my cousin David, who's called Chach, um, and his wife Tammy, who's just called Tammy. We love her, but she's not in the family. Um, they graduated from a certain college which shall remain unnamed, whose president was was well known, widely known for being excruciatingly dull, and his wife was even duller. And um, Tammy and Chach had arranged a dinner with some alumni, with uh, which included many of their our cousins, um, for this couple and. Things were winding down, and they were sitting around, and, t- and two cousins were sitting on the, on the sofa, one of whom is a well-known lawyer in a certain southern town. He thought uh, maybe things needed to be a little more interesting, so he went into the kitchen and put a little Kahlua into the coffee, one of, just one of the coffees, and he was going to give it to his wife so she could maybe have a little better time at the... Um, this after-dinner conversation, but the president's wife grabbed the Kahlua coffee by accident and just sucked it down. She was just saying, oh, my goodness, this coffee is so good. Tammy, what is your secret? I just need to know. I've got to be able to make this at home. And Tammy, realizing what had happened, she said, Meg, I saw the other two on the couch laughing so hard they were falling against each other. And so I couldn't let her see that. And so I held her gaze. I held her gaze. And I said, I grind my own beans. We tell ourselves stories in order to live, Joan Didion says in the White Album. We tell ourselves stories of remembrance and identity. Where did we come from? What have we seen and felt? Who are we? Where are we going? What is expected of us? And as I hear the family stories from my mother's side of the family, I know that a little mischief is expected. And you are supposed to tell entertaining stories. That is of value in this side of the family. And I want to tell you that every family has family stories, whether they tell them or not. And every town has town stories. Every country has country stories. Every church has church stories. And the stories that are told about your community, about your tribe, about your group, your chosen group, or your born into group, 
these are the stories that let you know what is expected of you and who you are and who you are supposed to be and what is allowed and what is not allowed and what is of value and what is not of value. So I was raised on the knowledge that it was expected to have some fun. And um, that side of the family, their stories were about uh, how important it was to be smart and productive and to be involved with the church. Stories about aches and pains, not okay. Stories about being sick or confused were not encouraged unless they had a happy ending that had to do with getting help from the Lord. On my father's side of the family, the stories are all about how smart you are um, and the books you've written, not so much the ones you've read. (laughs) My dad and his three siblings were doing calculus on the radio when they were four, and so they were these prodigy whiz kids. They still have notebooks filled with closely written pages of German from when they were seven. Um... They said three, but I'm thinking it was more like seven. I'm not exactly sure of the complete truth of all the stories on that side of the family. Um, My dad, Donald, and his sister Ruth would have uh, arguments about ideas because we were not allowed to talk about people. Um, Current events were okay, but ideas were the best. And... um, she would say, oh, Donald, you are slower than I am, so just agree that I am correct. Your IQ is only 212 and mine is 213. (laughs) Their father was a famous radio evangelist who would line them all up and spank them. He said regularly for no reason. But I know it was bad because he never would lay a hand on us, my sister and I me. Um, Grammar is also important. (laughs) I do remember the one time he sent me to bed without supper because I'd been acting obnoxious, apparently. Um, And he felt so terrible that he sat by the bed holding my hand and crying with me until I fell asleep. Many people's family stories have to do with the strength and courage and sometimes royalty of the ancestors. Some families tell stories about being descended from pilgrims or seafarers, storytellers, players, musicians. Some families tell about being descended from Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett. Some tell about athletic achievements, horse thieves, journeys taken along the Natchez, trace escapes from the slave hunters or Cossack soldiers with babies wrapped in blankets, a 300-mile walk in the wintertime. Some family stories tell us what we can expect from life. Some families tell their children that they live in a world where luck is short and they can't expect much. You're not going to mount anything. Nobody in our family ever amounts to anything. Or... They tell you stories about how you're surrounded by idiots. Idiots everywhere. Can't walk past a construction site without saying, look at those idiots. Six of them just looking into a hole, just standing there. They don't know what they're doing. Under the influence of asphalt, it gets worse. Look at these 
bunch of people that can't even drive. I don't know what they're telling these days. These people are so stupid. I mean, they're so stupid. And so the children are listening to all of the stories that you tell. That's why I keep telling you about my friend who, when someone cuts him off in traffic, he says, bless her heart, I bet she just got out of the hospital. (laughs) Uh, I had a neighbor once whose stories all had to do with, um, with death. She was, she was isolated in her own reality, I believe is the correct way of saying this. You don't say crazy anymore. But being with her taught my, my son critical thinking by the time he was six because Miss Deborah's stories uh, never did make much sense, especially about the, the aliens who took her to their leader. And, they, and she would go, yeah, uh, I got captured by aliens yesterday. And they took me to their leader, and um, he said I had to give him a kiss, uh, and then they would bring me home. And if I hadn't have done it, I'd have died. So my son comes home and tells me this story, and I'm like, honey. Anyway, we did some critical thinking work. He said, my granddaddy, he, uh, he hurt his leg, and it got real bad. And we had to um, take him to the doctor, but we couldn't get uh, to a doctor in time. And so then she goes on to describe how they performed the surgery. I will not uh, traumatize you with it. And, um, and the doctor, when he finally saw him, said if we'd have done it a half an hour later, he'd have died. I was captured one time when I was working at the hamburger place, and these people were robbing the place, and they took me outside, and I just kept them talking. I just kept them talking like this. I said, this is when my birthday is. When's your birthday? And, um, and when, once the police came, um, they said, if I hadn't have done that, I'd have died. <laughs> so her stories have a fairly predictable shape. <laughs> Every religion has a tapestry of stories that they tell. In Unitarian Universalism, we, we use stories from all the world's religions, and we use stories from the lives of famous uh, Unitarian Universalists, and uh, we use stories from the lives of unknown Unitarians that we have known and Universalists. We use stories from our own lives as teaching stories. Every story we tell shapes our children's experience of who we are as Unitarian Universalists and what we can expect and what is expected of us. Uh, My Aunt Mabel used to read every morning from a book of Bible stories. And we learned from the Bible stories. We heard about Absalom. This was one of our favorites. Uh, Absalom was a son of King David with thick, beautiful hair. But it proved his undoing when he had tried to lead a coup and uh, was riding away in his chariot. But some low-hanging branches scooped his hair up and held him and his hair uh, trapped him in those branches, and he was killed because of his beautiful hair. Um, we loved the story of Jezebel, who uh, died falling out of a window of a tower. And you know how bloodthirsty children are. <clears throat> we, the more blood, the better in the stories for us. And the end of that story was, and the dogs ate her all except for the palms of her hand. 
which reminds me of when I was doing a short course for the religious education teachers in South Carolina. And uh, I said, this year we're doing Judaism and Christianity, stories from there, and let me just take you through the story of uh, the stories of the Old Testament. It started with Genesis, and I, I, was, I was only to Abraham when one woman raised her hand and said, do you want us to tell these stories to the children? <laughs> the most famous shaping story for the community of uh, the Jewish and Christian faith is the Exodus, where you're slaves um, in the land of Egypt, and you are set free, and uh, after you're set free, you wander for 40 years in the wilderness before you get to the promised land. I don't know if you realize it, but almost all stories in our Western culture that are simple stories have to do with this, the shape of this story. Late night infomercials, for example. All right, enslaved in Egypt, wandered, promised land. My hair was dry and brittle. I was ashamed to go out of the house. And then I found this shampoo, and after I had used it for a while, I got to the promised land. My hair is gorgeous. Or, uh, I forgot the wandering part in that story. Here's another wandering story. Um, I weighed 750 pounds, and I tried everything. This is the wandering part. I tried everything. I tried Weight Watchers. I tried Name Six Diet. And then I found whatever it is, and I'm perfect. As you can see, I am free. I'm in the promised land. So you're in trouble. You try everything. Then you find the promised land. And I'm telling you that you would recognize a story that didn't fit that because it would sound so odd, but it would be truer. There's a late night infomercial, just imagine, where a person says, I weighed 750 pounds. I tried Weight Watchers. I lost 100 then I gained 50 back. Then I tried something else. And now I'm trying, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a vegetarian now, so I'm eating healthier. And uh, I've lost, you know, I've lost 200 pounds. I'm still weigh 500. But, um, and every now and then I slip. But, uh, you know, life is a struggle. <laughs> this is not a satisfying story. <laughs> Nobody says, yeah, I was a, I was Bad to drink is how they say it in South Carolina. I was an alcoholic. Bad to drink. And um, I hurt my family. I hurt my job. I lost everything. And, and then I found AA. And I put together 35 days of sobriety. And then I had a slip. And now I've put together a year and a half of sobriety. Of course, it's just one day at a time. You know, I could have a slip anytime. I've got a new roommate. Smokes a lot of dope. So, I, you know, I'm around it all the time. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking I'll fall again. But, you know, this is a disease of, of uh, you just pick yourself up and keep trying. Is that satisfying? Is it realistic? Yeah. Okay, so you've got the idea. Um, I worked as a therapist for many years, and one of the things that was a revelation to me was I read a story in the New Yorker magazine. Uh, 
I'm not going to tell you that story. I read a story in the, New- <laughs> in the New Yorker magazine about a horse trainer, one of the gentle horse whisperer kind of trainers. And what she said was, I figure out what story each horse is telling herself or himself about themselves. What story is this horse telling? This horse is telling itself the story of, I'm a frightened horse. And so what I do is I work with the horse to, to change the story that it is telling about itself. This one is saying, I'm a wild horse. I just work with that horse to change the story that it's telling about itself. And I had a revelation as a therapist. I thought, yes, people are telling themselves stories about their experience, and they tell themselves stories about themselves. I'm a lucky person. I'm an unlucky person. I'm not good at relationships. I have dreams, but there's no way I'm ever going to get there. Um, there, I'm not ever going to amount to anything because the people in my family don't amount to anything. Or, ah, I have terrible taste in uh, partners. I can't ever get it right. So all you do is you listen for the story that the person is telling about themselves, and you, and you ask them gently if they'd be willing to change the story. So what I want to do with this sermon is I want to ask you all to, to listen for the stories that you're telling yourself about yourself or the stories that your family tells about itself or the stories that this church tells about itself. We had a, a couple years ago when I had first come here, I had an uh, lunch where I invited all the people who had been presidents of the congregation. It was a very august group and a very interesting group. And they stood up and told about their time as president. And about the sixth time someone said, and well, of course, that caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> we started just cracking up because it was part of every story. Well, of course, that caused a lot of controversy. So you listen for the stories that you're telling. And how much different would your life experience be if you were to shift the stories that you tell? If you were to start telling yourself, I am a very lucky person. Or I am very good at listening. Or I'm a person who expresses himself well. Or I am a person who loves being around people. Or I am a person, whatever. I'm good with money. Uh, You can tell yourself a story and then just see what are the different things you notice because your stories are filters through which you um, shape the shifting phantasmagoria that is your life's experience, in the words of Joan Didion. You shape your life's experience with these stories and you'll notice different things if you tell yourself different stories. And you'll notice that people react to you very strangely, when you tell a story that's not expected. You know, in the Northeast, every time someone says, how are you doing? You're supposed to say, oh, busy, 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 busy. And sometimes people are like, "Uh, how are you doing, busy? (laughs) How are you doing, you busy? And so a couple times when people say, hey, Meg, how are you doing, you busy? I'll be like, no, not too bad. (laughs) And what do you say? Just interesting. If you have a, an investigative turn of mind. So your experience is shaped by your stories that you tell, and your children learn through the stories that they hear. So Stephen Sondheim has a wonderful play um, called Into the Woods, and in it is a, a song that says, Beware the tale you tell. The tale is your spell. 
You cast your spell with your tail, and the children are listening. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.